You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, welcome in everybody to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. Show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And today, I'm going to spend most of the show talking about something I'm sure you all want to hear about, which is offensive line. We're going to talk a lot about Panay Sewell trading up uh, and just kind of that whole scenario. But first, we actually have a couple little tidbits of news, uh, not the, the biggest news, you know, not nothing like a free agency signing or anything, but the Vikings did add a special teams assistant coach. His name is Robert Steeples. Not like a, a huge franchise-altering addition, obviously, but it replaces ostensibly the role that Ryan Ficken vacates by being promoted to the main special teams coordinator role, uh, and Robert Steeples is now on the staff. Steeples was a Viking for a couple of games. He spent some time on the practice squad in 2013. He ended up getting activated for a couple of games, spending, uh, you know, playing special teams. He sort of bounced around the league for his career. Um, he ended up not making the team in 2014, and now ever since his time in the NFL, he's been kind of on the coaching circuit. He was a head coach for a high school, Jesuit high school in St. Louis, uh, and now he comes in as a kind of low-level assistant in the NFL, which is really cool. Obviously, there's not much to glean or cover about that, but it is still worth mentioning, even though it's just an assistant special teams guy, he's still a guy. But really, I think the news of the day comes from more NFL-wide goings-on. Of course, there's a couple things that happen about how camp and the offseason programs and, and workouts and stuff are going to go down. So I guess we should probably talk about all that. A big one is the NFLPA and the NFL kind of came out with a joint thing about vaccinations, about how you have to be vaccinated to be a tier one or tier two member of the organization, which means that's coaching staff, that's anybody who works with the players, that's, I mean, the only people outside of that are like you know, night janitors and security guards and stuff, you know, people that don't necessarily need to, uh, interact with like the principal members of the football team. If you want to be one of those principal members of the football team, you're going to have to be vaccinated to get into organizations to be able to get in buildings and stuff. And, you know, they'll probably that probably means teams are going to work out ways to you know get their players vaccinated before they miss any time and get them immunized and all that stuff from COVID-19. So that's obviously something to watch out, you know, watch out for timeline wise. And, you know, did somebody get immunized in time or are they going to have to wait two weeks and miss the beginning of camp and stuff? That could be something that goes on. There are a few players that don't like this rule, that don't like the vaccine and all that stuff. I'll let them speak for themselves. But perhaps more interestingly, on the players side, the offseason workouts right now, now, the voluntary off-season workouts, that's OTAs, that's there is a mandatory minicamp, that's a three-day operation that everybody has to go to, and then there's the uh, the 10-day OTAs. All this stuff was canceled last year as, you know, it was like May and we were still figuring out what to do with COVID-19 and the, the things had only been in lockdown for a couple of months, so it was this really this situation in flux. That was when we didn't even know if there was going to be a season. But now, you know, a year later, things look a, a, a lot different, a lot more kind of under control, especially if you can get people immunized and stuff, so it seems like teams are trying to have, uh, you know, those voluntary workouts and a, a relatively normal offseason, maybe with some masks and some distancing, but otherwise people get in person and they get to work out like you always would. 
Players from three teams as of this recording, the Broncos, the Seahawks, and the Buccaneers, have all come out and said, as a collective, this is all of the players on those teams, we're not going to the voluntary workouts. They cited in statements through the NFLPA that they were dissatisfied with the COVID-19 safety protocols in those workouts, they were dissatisfied with their franchise's plans, um, and they are, are not going to go. And that has a whole bunch of interesting ramifications, not only just the kind of drasticness of that gesture where it's like, hey, you have to look out more for our safety or we're not going to go. It's also the voluntary workouts. They didn't say anything about like actual training camp. And they said, hey, you know, we hope it doesn't come to that basically was the tone that I got out of those statements. But this is a lot less contentious than like a mass holdout. This isn't quite like a strike or anything like that because it's only the voluntary workouts for most players. That's something they could have blown off anyways for like really whatever reason. That's the point. They're, they're voluntary. You can show up or you can't show up. Of course, there's a lots of social pressure and there's a lot of, you know, pressures outside of, well, you know, we, we don't want to be put at a disadvantage. We don't want to be behind. Everybody show up. And usually if somebody didn't show up to voluntary workouts, it was like a story. Uh, but they I mean, for whatever reason, right, they could have just kind of said, like, I didn't feel like it today. And that would have flied. They, you know, they wouldn't, the team isn't allowed to like punish you for that or anything. So that's where all of that stands. The thing is, there are a lot of veterans like Von Miller has a $500,000 workout bonus, meaning if he does show up to those, he gets a $500,000 bonus. And if he doesn't, he misses out on that. So that's half a million dollars. And there are a lot of players with those kinds of workout bonuses. Now, I don't know know what's going on inside of these organizations, inside of these meetings with, you know, the players in the union and all that stuff. But if I had to guess, I would guess that this is not going to be the only three teams, that other teams are going to kind of follow suit here. And, uh, you know, other player groups are going to say, well, we're not going to go until you, you bolster the COVID-19 protocols because we, you know, we we don't want to have to opt out again, right? We don't want their, we don't want to put ourselves at risk and our families at risk and all that stuff. And we'll see how that sort of develops over the rest of the NFL. Another interesting thing is, uh, so if you were to be a camp holdout, for example, which is kind of a similar thing, but for mandatory, like, training camp, not just the voluntary workouts. If you were to be a camp holdout, a lot of times you would get fined uh, for like each day that you would miss, right? And players would say, well, that's fine. You know, fine me $500,000 and then give me a $20 million contract. That's the investment, right? But even on top of that, for most holdout situations, once the player actually reported to camp, the team would forgive the fines and they would forgive the the, the missed uh, practices and all that stuff and the, and the disciplinary measures and all that stuff and kind of say, OK, we got a deal together. We did it either, you know, one team, one side capitulated or you came to the compromise. And we did it and, you know, no harm, no foul. You're in camp. Let's just get to camp and put everything behind us. As of the new CBA, the new collective bargaining agreement, you can't do that anymore. Once you have levied a fine, once you've missed a practice, you have to pay that. I would not be surprised. I don't know if it works this way with workout bonuses, but I wouldn't be surprised to find out that it does, where if you miss out on your $100,000 workout bonus because you don't go to the voluntary meetings because you're worried about the COVID-19 protocols, uh, the team wouldn't be able to say, well, we get it. We get why you didn't come and we're going to give you the, the bonus anyways, depending on how the wording is in the CBA. I don't know this, if there's any lawyers out there, if anybody's more familiar with the CBA than I am that can correct me on that, please do. But it is an interesting thing to watch, especially because the Vikings have a ton of players with workout bonuses and they're like leaders of the team. There are $100,000 workout bonuses on the contracts of Daniil Hunter, Eric Kendricks, Harrison Smith, Anthony Barr, Dalvin Tomlinson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, and CJ Ham, and Kyle Rudolph, who's technically still on the books right now. Uh, there's also a $50,000 one, $50, one on Nick Vigil and a $31,250 one on Mason Cole's contract. So these players have money to lose if they were to make this decision. They might still choose that it is worth it, but it definitely has to factor into the calculus, especially if 
it's like holdouts where teams can't say, eh, you know, we get why you didn't do it. And it was this collective thing. And it's we're going to give you the workout bonuses anyways. Those players are I mean, that's Barr and Harrison Smith and Adam. Thiel. I mean, those are the leaders of the of the team. Those are the, the, the heart and soul of the locker room kind of guys. So when it comes time for the Vikings to make this decision, those players are going to have their calculus affected that much by, well, you know, we stand to lose like a six digit amount of money might change things, might not. But we uh, as with all things, we just kind of have to wait and see. Um, and it's definitely something that I mean, I'm certainly sympathetic to, right? I would not want to be forced to go to work if I didn't think that that place was keeping me safe from the pandemic that shut the world down. And I think my, my hope of hopes is that everybody just can like, get the vaccination, get immunized, and we can kind of put it all behind us. And I think that's the way the NFL hopes does too. We can relax all the restrictions. Everybody's going to have the vaccine. And we'll see if, you know, if push ever does come to shove when it comes to the actual mandatory training camp stuff. But if the Vikings and their players can keep it to a place where, you know, they don't have to take this sort of drastic action, then that's an advantage that they would have over teams that, you know, didn't have their voluntary workouts, right? And that's obviously something worth pursuing. Moving on, we're going to talk about Panay Sewell and Rayshon Slater and trading up for offensive line, that whole kind of situation for the rest of the show. But first, I want to talk to you about the best tasting protein bar on the planet. Covered in 100% chocolate, it is Built Bar, and it comes in unreal flavors for what is a much healthier treat than this sounds. Caramel brownie cookies and cream, uh, chocolate brownie chunk, coconut brownie chunk, all sorts of delicious indulgence treats for the health-conscious kind of guy. They're low in sugar, high in protein, high in fiber, low calorie. They're even keto-friendly if you're into that. So head on over to Built Bar com get a box for yourself and if you use promo code lock 15 you get 15 percent off of your next order that's locked l-o-c-k-e-d-1-5 all one word for 15 percent off at builtbar.com it has been a tumultuous week not only in america but in the world of sports as well with all of the minnesota sports teams postponing games in response to the ongoing situation in brooklyn center with the police as well as the voluntary opt-outs we just talked about, not to mention the Masters, an unbelievable Kevin Durant performance against those Timberwolves in that postponed game. If you want to get caught up on all things in the wild world of sports, go to the Locked On Today podcast as soon as you're done with this one. Peter Bukowski has you covered under 20 minutes every single morning, everything you need to know about sports. That's available on the Odyssey app, that's A-U-D-A-C-Y, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. So let's talk about Panay Sewell. And this came from somebody asked in the Discord, which you can find a link to if you want to join if you're on discord you want to join we have a good time there's a link to join that and everybody is welcome in the show notes so come on over and hang out but sam 99 in the discord asked if fields and lance go in the top eight and sewell is there at nine would you guys want to jump the cowboys to go get him assuming either slater goes at offensive tackle one or just no tackles taken until then and that is a very interesting question that comes up quite a bit would you trade up for the offensive lineman right the vikings have been bad at offensive line for a while i'm sure you're all very upset about the state of the offensive line so what if we just got aggressive and traded up with our old pal George Payton, who's uh, the Broncos at nine, just got the guy and stopped beating around the bush? I think that's a really interesting question, and I think that means it's it's probably time to talk about Panay Sewell and, to a lesser degree, Rayshon Slater as well. And if those guys are available at pick nine or around there, would you trade up? And, you know, what is the alternative to that? How do we compare them and all of those questions? So let's talk about it. And I want to start by talking about Panay Sewell. Of course, he's going to be the prospect of the day since he's kind of central to this conversation. So prospect of the day, Panay Sewell, offensive tackle, Oregon. And last time we saw him play, so he opted out in 2020. So in 2019, last time we saw him play. He was 19. He had a 
reach disadvantage and he was dominating people. It just absolutely makes no sense with his body type. Um, he was 330 pounds, an absolute ballerina. I mean, he had the athleticism. I think PFF called him like he mirrored defensive backs, like just this absolutely nonsensical person that just shouldn't like work the way that he does. And his athleticism is off the charts too. His testing completely off the charts. The only category he is not absolutely elite in, in terms of testing, is his arm length, his height, his, his actual reach. That's it. And if that's the only problem, you are an elitely athletic prospect. So in this case, you're not going to like take him off your board because of athleticism. Nobody will. He passes everybody's tests. If your tests, if Panay Sewell doesn't pass your tests, no human on earth does. So the athleticism thresholds and the Vikings particular style and all that stuff, it all kind of gets washed away. Everybody's got Panay Sewell on, his, on their board. But there have been reports from guys like Benjamin Albright and other people who have asked around, you know, very connected in, in the higher parts of the league and, and especially around this time. Albright specifically seems to really have his finger on the pulse of these things. And he said, you know, hey, Penesul is not as as high on everybody's boards as you think. And we'll get into maybe why that is but maybe he does false. This is an interesting thing. And I, I think the negatives on him, if I had to nitpick, right, they're more uncertainties. He does engage a little bit funky on the on the second level. He doesn't quite have his body angles, right? That's a very, very minor thing and something that might even be able to develop. Again, he's only 19 last time we saw him play. And the other things are uncertainties. The fact that he did opt out in 2020, the fact that he does kind of have short arms. He had some minor medical stuff in his time at Oregon. He was banged up a little bit. Those things are questionable question marks, but it's really difficult to look at those things and, 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 you know, throw out what is otherwise a really impressive body of work. That's why everybody's got him top five on their board. So he's a top five prospect. And I think if you if you wanted to disagree with that, I would probably say that you're overrating things like medicals or, or arm length. There is, however, some debate with uh, Panay Sewell versus a guy like Rayshon Slater out of Northwestern. He also has whatever arm length, and he might even need to move to guard. He does have the athleticism to hold up at guard. You know, both of these guys have unreal broad jumps and power and all that stuff. Uh, but he had some hand, uh, Slater had some hand engagement problems. He wasn't very good at, he would grab instead of punch, and sometimes that would betray his power a little bit, and that might get exposed a little bit more against like NFL interior, like nose tackles and stuff. If you move him to guard, and the reason you need to move him to guard is because of like height and arm length and stuff, kind of a similar thing. So I kind of think Slater should stay at tackle. I think moving him to guard where he's never played and might not actually have the skill set for it just because his arms are short feels a little bit forgive the pun short-sighted to me, but both have the athleticism to do anything. And it sounds like if you are to believe Albright, and I think that's a decent enough bet, it might be that Rayshon Slater is the first offensive lineman off the board, like what Sam 99 said. So let's say that, you know, quarterbacks go up top. We're going to talk about those quarterbacks later in the week, I think, too. But yeah, let's say, you know, you got five quarterbacks, Slater goes, and then it's like really easy to come up with a world where he's available at nine. You just have to say like, all right, and then also Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts, and boom, it's pick number nine, and Panay Sewell's on the board, and it's time to trade up. So let's talk about the merits next of trading up in general, trading up for a guy like Sewell, who obviously has fallen further than he should have, and that's kind of a really, really important part of the calculus. And just the general, I mean, there's a lot of talk about trade up, trade down, what who wins those trades very often. I think you might know the answer to that. And if there are any exceptions to that kind of general trend that we should maybe be aware of. But first, I want to talk to you about MVP odds headed into 2021. This is betonline.ag's MVP odds. Obviously, Mahomes and Rodgers at the top of the list. You've got Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Matt Stafford is 14 to 1. A bit of a dark horse there. I think he's probably too high considering what he's proven already. But hey, maybe things go a lot better for him in Los Angeles. I do think he's going to have a career year there. We'll just see if it turns out to be MVP level. 
Um, if you want our good boy Kirk, he's all the way down at 66 to 1, tied with Alvin Kamara and Ben Roethlisberger and Trevor Lawrence and Tua Tagovailoa. Not uh, exactly inspiring company there. I kind of think Kirk Cousins a little low. I'm not the biggest Kirk Cousins fan, but I'm also not the biggest Kirk Cousins hater out there for sure. But I think putting him below somebody like Jameis Winston, who hasn't even been able to shake Taysom Hill in New Orleans, putting him below somebody like Derek Carr. I don't know. You might be able to find some value kind of shorting that, betting the over on, on Kirk Cousins uh, metrics. If you want to go find some of those props or just bet on some basketball or some baseball, that's going strong right now. You can find it at betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. And when you go sign up, if you don't have an account yet, it's free to make one. And when you make your first deposit, enter promo code locked on L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, all one word, you get a 50% welcome bonus. That's a 50% match on whatever you put in on your first deposit for free grambling money at betonline.ag. I am begging, I am pleading, I am on my knees. Go subscribe to the Ultimate 2021 NFL Mock Draft. It is an absolutely awesome project. We did one last year. It's on a separate podcast feed this year and not on like Locked On NFL. It's not going to be like a week of Locked On NFL like it was last year. So go search the Ultimate Locked On 2021 Mock Draft. It is awesome. I picked for the Vikings, the other Locked On hosts picked for their teams. And we got like Michael Irvin and Brian Baldinger and Michael Lombardi breaking down and, and analyzing the picks as well. It's really, really an exciting project. I cannot wait to unveil it to all of you. So go subscribe to that feed and go listen for it. That's going to all come out next week, but you can go sub to the feed right now. As for us, we are going to start talking about trade-ups versus trade-downs. So Panay Sewell, he's a top five dude. He's out of reach, unless we go for Sam's hypothetical, which I do not think is out of the realm of possibility at all. In fact, I think it's even a little likely. Um, it's a lot of quarterbacks to go in the top 10. I don't think we've ever had five quarterbacks go in the top 10. Uh, we've had five quarterbacks go in the first round, but one of them was Lamar Jackson at 32. I, I'm struggling to remember other times where like that many quarterbacks were selected. So obviously we'll see. But if something like that happens or, you know, say Justin Fields falls, but somebody takes an edge rusher way higher than you think they will, and Panay Sewell is there at nine, uh, should we go and and trade up or at 10 or at 11 you know how do how do you parse all of that out and let's talk about trading up now usually trading up is swimming upstream the thing about draft picks is that they're pretty random i like to think of them as dice rolls you're purchasing dice and you roll them and whatever you get you get that many points right every die can come up a one and you don't get many points for that and every pick can bust. Sometimes even Trent Richardson's and Aaron Curry's can happen. Sometimes Matt Khalil can be the, the safest, you know, surefire, absolute offensive lineman in the draft and then he gets pneumonia and he never gets his weight back and he sucks. Anything can always happen, right? And to protect yourself from that uncertainty, hoarding more draft picks is generally wise. And it's why, even though Rick Spielman's hit rate has been up and down over the years, he's always been able to keep a fair amount of depth on the roster because he just makes a thousand picks every year. And if you miss on six of them, but you hit on six of them and you get six hits in a draft, well, if you only picked the like your natural seven picks, you'd have to go six for seven to get that same amount of equity. That's kind of the whole point. And trading down is an avenue to kind of diversifying your assets, splitting one pick into two shots at a player. And draft order is not linear, right? The first the best player in every draft isn't necessarily the first player in every draft, and the second best player in every draft isn't necessarily the second player to go in that draft. Sometimes the guy who gets picked 14th is Aaron Donald. In fact, in that 2014 draft, number one overall was Jadeveon Clowney. I think in hindsight, you would definitely take Aaron Donald, but like that's the kind of thing that happens, right? The draft is random and we don't really know. So jumping up the draft order is not necessarily that valuable a thing. If you pick 11th or you pick 14th, you know, the guy at 14th 
14 might end up being better than the guy at 11. However, boards fall in weird ways, and sometimes there is a guy that you think is the best player on the board by a mile, and it might be worth sacrificing a lower pick to go up and get him. So there are, of course, trade charts that quantify all this, but even those trade charts kind of smooth things over. There are a lot of quirks with the randomness of the draft, where, you know, the 134th player had, like, one guy that went to the Hall of Fame, and therefore the average 134th player is better than the average 133rd player, and you smooth that out for the sake of your curve, and you get a decent, like, little trade value. On those trade value charts, you basically have to spend pick 78 to get up to pick 9. Pick 9 is worth more or less pick 14 and 78. It's not exact change, but it's really close. And of course, if you go by like the Jimmy Johnson chart, the Vikings have to give up even more capital. Um, but I think if you if you offered picks 14 and 78 or pick 14 and a two next year to do something kind of equivalent and not snooker this year too much, you could get up to pick nine. So is that worth it is the question. And again, it depends on where you are on Panay Sewell. If you're really worried about his arm length and the, the little dings he got at Oregon, or maybe you're worried about his translation, maybe you're worried that you're going to have to move him to guard because of his arm length and he might not do as well there or whatever. I think I disagree with you on those worries, but if you have those worries, it might be better to just sit at 14 and take, you know, the next best offensive lineman. Let me give you a hypothetical. What if the Vikings stayed at 14 and took Elijah Vera Tucker? And if you don't like Elijah Vera Tucker as a pick and you'd rather take like an edge rusher or whatever, then the gap would even be smaller. But let's for now say, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker versus Panay Sewell. What's the difference between these players? I think Elijah Veer Tucker is a great prospect. He's going to move into guard almost certainly. He's got a great skill set for it, and I'd be really excited about him. A little bit of a reach at 14 to pick a guard, but I don't think I'd be too mad about it considering how much uh, like production there is to get if you improve the pass production. We've uh, the pass protection. If, if we've talked about that a lot, that the EPA would increase quite a lot, and I think it would probably pay for itself, even though guards typically don't tend to, the way the Vikings work and the way Kirk Cousins works, I think is valuable enough. So with that in mind, the difference between Panay Sewell, who I'd be doing backflips over, and Elijah Vera Tucker, who I'd still be pretty happy with, is that worth an entire guy in the third round? I mean, Mock Draft Monday, sometimes that guy has been, and you know, when that pick gets traded up to the second round, that guy's been Carlos Basham. Or, you know, that guy's been like a corner we can be excited about, or somebody like Diami Brown, wide receiver we can be excited about. Would you give up an entire Diami Brown for the difference between Elijah Vera Tucker and Panay Sewell. And I think if you asked 100 Vikings fans that question, I think you probably would not get a unanimous answer. And that's what's beautiful about the draft, right? But that's the calculus you have to do. And if you wanted to, uh, you know, quantify it and, you know, assign numbers to all of it, the draft charts can be very helpful there. But I encourage you not to think of trading the 14th best player in the draft for the 9th best player in the draft and the 78th best player in the draft. You're trading opportunities to take players. And there's nothing stopping you from getting the 5th best player in the draft at pick nine if number five is still on the board. And according to PFF, according to Dane Brugler, Panay Sewell is number five on both of their boards. So if you think about it that way, and if you say, well, what if we traded 14 and 78 for pick number five, and if you did all that on the draft charts, then the Vikings come out way ahead. And so you have to, you know, if, if a guy that you love, a guy that you think is absolutely a slam dunk is falling, then you go trade up for him. And that doesn't always work out. Sometimes it's a Drew Samia, but sometimes it's a Harrison Smith. Personally, I'm not into it. I think that the difference between Panay Sewell and Elijah Vera Tucker to me is not that big. The difference between Panay Sewell and a guy that I really would like at pick number 14, like I'm big on Quiddy Pay, I think he's worth that. Or if a pass catcher had fallen, Devonta Smith falls or something like that. Uh, the difference between Panay Sewell and those situations is very fairly small and to me not worth pick 78, which I think is what it would cost. I'd much rather stand pat at 14. I'd much rather trade down at pick 14, trade into the 20s and 
pick, you know, whatever edge rusher happens to be there, because I think he'd be able to get somebody like Aziz Ajulari. I think Jalen Phillips might actually be there because his concussion uh, history might scare teams off in the teens, but less so in the 20s. Or you would have like other freaky athletic players like Landon Dickerson is this like crazy athlete, unbelievable center that would transition to guard. But center to guard, I think, is an easier one than tackle to guard. And you can trade down to get him and he's super athletic and you can maybe end up getting a second round pick on top of that. And so now the calculus becomes Landon Dickerson, a second round pick and a third round pick. Or would you package all of that up to go from Landon Dickerson to Panay Sewell. I don't think I would. I, I don't think I'm into that idea. I don't think it would be worth trading up to nine for Panay Sewell, assuming you do get another offensive lineman. Of course, if you know you, you wait at 14 and Elijah Vera Tucker goes and Slater is gone and Sewell is gone and you're like stuck with like Samuel Cosme, then you, you done goofed. But that's kind of the challenge of the draft is not only understanding the, the prospects and who is there and who you like and who you don't like, but understanding where everybody else feels on those guys as well so you can accurately predict who is going to be there. If you knew that, say, Landon Dickerson would be there at pick 31, you could probably justify pretty well trading down to 31 and picking Landon Dickerson there. But you don't necessarily know that. You don't necessarily know that about Jalen Phillips or Quiddy Pay or if you like those edge rushers. And that's, of course, the risk of trading, trading down is who did you trade past? Either tomorrow or Friday, we're going to talk about the quarterbacks. We're going to talk about some other stuff, uh, of course, on this show every single day, as always, leading up to the draft. We'll keep doing prospect of the day and all that good stuff. Mock drafts, Twitter Tuesday, we're keeping it going all the way up to the draft. If you are planning out your draft, by the way, I'm going to do a show every morning of a draft day as well, which means we're going to have a Saturday show, a Sunday show, a Monday show following uh, day three, and then I will probably take some time off after that to rest my voice. So uh, be excited for that. In the meantime, of course, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL, shows on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. Go join the Discord links in the show notes. And as always, Skull!